In a world where the line between pleasure and destruction is blurred, a new threat emerges from beyond the stars. Oh my God! Oh my God! Aliens, hell bent on the annihilation of humanity. They're back. When they stuck that probe up your ass, it caused a telepathic link between you and the aliens. What do you mean? Come with us now. The world needs you. To do what? We need you to bang, and bang as hard as you've ever banged before. All right, I, I could do that, yeah. That sounds good. Now. The fate of the world rests in their loins. We don't have the technology to shoot them out of space, but we can telepathically bang them off course and explode. You're asking me to go to a warehouse in the middle of nowhere and have sex with loads of strangers? I'll do it. Mr. President, I'll do it. Well, yeah, I'll definitely do that. The Big Bang. Because I'm not shooting blanks. Coming soon. To a theater near you. There's just one question. What's your kink? We turn into tough titties. We don't. The best bits, or whatever. Can I tell you, I've watched two things that I've absolutely loved over the last two weeks. It's about the only thing I can do to share. Are we on mic? We are on mic. Okay. There's a microphone in front of your face. I know that, but it's about, like, when do we drop in? Can I share with you two things that I've watched that I've loved? Okay. I was hoping <laughs> we could have a more interesting conversation. I want to tell it's you like things. It's like you get on mic and just say, like, I watched this the other day. It was very good. Oh, that's good. I watched this. It was very good. Oh, that's good. Let's have a proper I conversation. Only, I only have two things and then we can have a proper conversation. All right? That's it. I've watched John Wick 4 in succession. Oh. Top that. So we, let's let's flip flop. Top that. Did you like any of them? Succession is a fucking delight. I love Succession. I watched this the other day. It was very good. Oh, that's good. The thing that I enjoy the most about Succession is I have no clue what's going on or where it's going or who I'm rooting for but I just love the interplay and the back and forth the shows are just like overflowing with great one-liners and cutting barbs and the performances are just so like on point it's it really is just a joy to watch you are right and I was just I just watched it before we came on and I was ch- what you are right this this is boring we should just have a conversation <laughs> Go on. I'm enjoying hearing about succession because I'm looking Fuck off. <laughs> That's what you said to me before I said I have two things to talk about. I'm looking forward to succession. I'm glad to know. Your face has given me a headache. Uh, well, that, you wouldn't be the first person to say that to me today. Also, I'm not the first person to say it at all because that's just a line from succession. Oh, okay. So start to shiv. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward and to it. And it made me laugh. It's like, your face has given me a headache. <laughs> uh, I can't. That, that's what we left off. We're, we kind of... Um, Conflated. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing, right? That's not going to spoil the episode. Better not. But do you, do you get what I mean, though, when I say that I don't know where this is going? This is the final season. Yeah. And I, you're watching Game of Thrones and you're hoping that they're going to kill the, the ice giant or the ice man or whatever, and you want one of them to get on the throne, but you're not sure which. But you sort of have a clear horse that you're backing. Yeah. And on this, I don't have any horse in the race, but I'm enjoying the, the fucking the centurions just smashing the shit out of each other. So, Cousin Greg turns up at Roy's birthday party. Okay. This isn't a spoiler. No, I'm not spoiling anything. I wouldn't even be able to spoil the show because I don't understand what's going on. But, um, Cousin Greg brings a girl to Roy's birthday party and the hangers-on and the flunkies are immediately going like, who the fuck is she? Get rid of her. She can't be here. She could be like uh, an informant. Do you know what's going on? We're in the middle of a negotiation and you're bringing some girl that you want to hook up with. And he's like, oh, I, you know, she's just cool and blah, blah, blah. And I'm a cousin. I get a plus one. Anyway, he disappears off with her and they they have a fumble in one of the bedrooms. Right. And Leap Cousin rock. Greg comes back. Oh, God, what's Matthew McFadden's character called? Tom. That he had a fumble in the bedroom. And Tom is like, oh, my God, you absolute moron. Why did you do that? And he's like, why? What, what, what are you on about? It's great. She's a minx. And he's like you went and had 
sex with her in Roy's house. He's this whole place wired with cameras. Oh, you're going to have to tell him because you just basically made a sex tape. And at the end of the night, he's going to be looking through it with a scotch. And he's going to see you. And he's like, oh, my God, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, you're going to have to tell him. And it's just... <laughs> It's just funny because it's just Tom being really evil to Greg and, like, and Roy's in the middle of another meltdown and Greg's like, um, can I can I speak to you please uh, in private? <laughs> and he comes back and he, he says to Tom, he goes, I think it went well. He said, I'm disgusting and despicable. <laughs> but he did it with a smirk on his face. And he's like, so I think it went well. But uh, yeah, it just made me laugh. I love the show. Succession is top quality telly. And um, I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about it on this episode because now nobody will listen to this episode because they don't want to be spoiled on succession. <laughs> I loved Tom and Greg's relationship throughout the previous seasons. They, even though Greg is, bas- is bullying, uh, no, Tom is basically bullying Greg throughout. And then when Tom goes off and is with Shiv, he's the sniveling little lackey. <laughs> and he's just. He's just this despicable little shit. Uh, yeah, it's just so rich and it's so much fun. Do you have any cousins like that? Do I have any cousins like Greg? <laughs> who goes... Sniffling uh, shit. Oh, so I thought you were talking about ones who do... Uh, who have sex with dates and or in our bedrooms and stuff like that. I don't give them half a chance. Oh my God. Wouldn't let them in the door. So that's succession. What have you been watching? Okay. Well, I've watched two <laughs> things that I said, I'm going to hold off and wait until I'm talking to talking to Kevin on the best bits, whatever. I didn't even mention them on WhatsApp to you because I said, no, I'm going to save chatting about them or even on the Discord. One is a show on Disney Plus and it is Fleischman is in trouble. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've watched most of it with Karen and I think it's actually great. I think it's really fucking good. It stars Jesse Eisenberg and Lizzie Kaplan and Claire Danes. It's about, it's based on a novel. And the odd thing is, it's showrun by the author of the novel, which is unusual. Her name is uh, Taffy Brodesser Ackner. That's her name, Taffy Brodesser Ackner. She sounds working class. She's a journalist by day. She wrote this novel that came out a couple of years ago. And, and it's a damn good show. It's fucking compelling really compelling on the surface it seems like something you wouldn't like that I it might irk me because it's about a couple Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes who are this say um, upper middle class New York couple there's no such thing as upper middle class in New York they're upper upper class upper upper class yeah well actually she's upper upper class and you would think that would be irritating and you would hate these people but in actual fact it, the, the the show was painted with such with, it, the characters are painted in such sympathi- sympathetic terms that you are totally on their side and characters I don't like the artwork to it it looks very twee and sun dancey I, I think it's I, don't, I think it's been sold incorrectly I think it's been the artwork because I saw the, the artwork on Disney Plus and it looks like a Woody Allen type film and it's not yeah. at all that it's more of a por- portrait of characters characters that you can you can side with very, very quickly. And is it like a marriage story? Not as bleak as a marriage story. There's definitely elements of humor in there. The what what I found fascinating is that at the at the central core of any good series, there has to be good central dramatic question. Like you were saying there with Game of Thrones and success. Or like Game of Thrones is like who's going to sit on the throne at the end of this? And even at the end of Succession, Succession is similar. Who's going to be? Yeah, who's going to succeed? Yeah, who's going to succeed? And there is a compelling who's gonna success who's gonna success <laughs> and at the end of episode one of Fleischman in Tro- is in trouble there is a compelling what the fuck is going on moment and that drives the show forward where you I found myself leaning in each episode and even though I was absolutely exhausted and I couldn't barely keep my eyes open I wanted to see the end of each episode so that's what you've been doing instead of responding to my texts yeah yeah, that's it. I just go. I'm yeah. just. I'm watching the show, so I'm recommending it. I think it's excellent. I think it's really, really good. I think everyone should give it a go. It's an excellent show. Okay, I'll think about it. Yeah. Uh, I watched John Wick Four. Right. Okay. How, where do you stand in the John Wick series up to now? Tell me all about that. Give me your history. I enjoy watching them 
I went into John Wick 4 and I thought, oh, this was a mistake because I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Okay. It just picks up directly from the last one. Keanu Reeves is galloping through the desert on a horse and he's shooting at people. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And they're all talking about this and that and what they got to do when they're running out of stuff and they're doing all their usual like ancient aliens mythology where they're flipping over big massive fucking egg timers and they're looking at scrolls and it's all bollocks. It's absolute nonsensical bollocks. And I thought, I don't have a fucking clue what's going on. But boy, does it look pretty. Well, that's the main thing. And that that is the, that is the saving grace for the John Wick movies. They are like diamonds diamond jewelry i'm looking at it thinking god that is yeah that looks really expensive and beautiful but i don't really want to wear diamonds so i don't really have any connection to them i just recognize that that's a very pretty diamond necklace yeah and that's how i feel with the john wick films they're like the most beautifully put together intricate stylish films where i don't really care but i enjoy looking at them I get that. I enjoyed the first one. They're like car ads or hotel ads for like Dubai. They're really pretty looking, yeah. And and Stunt reels. the thing about it as well is the fact that so much of it is practical. That's enjoyable in itself. That when you see stunt people actually throwing each other over each other's shoulders and stuff like that, and that's impressive. I like that. Yeah, it's like it's like five hundred Bond henchmen just battering shit out of each other nonstop. Is it like four hours long? No, it's three, but it felt four hours. Oh my God, it's three hours long. I was joking about four hours. Fuck, it's three hours long. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I, okay, I all I remember is enjoying the first one. Second one went, eh, they're stretching this concept out a bit, you know, further than it, ever, it was ever intended to be extended. And then the third one, I went, oh, this is just bullshit. Because this was not the one which... Uh, yeah, but didn't you, didn't you find it really pretty looking? Oh, definitely. Oh, listen, it was gorgeous to look at. But it's a whole slapping this kind of like mythology and lore upon it that just and it wasn't there something they go even deeper on that there's a hotel where you you know in the hotel there's like some sort of pharaoh or something like that the continental yes yeah 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 yeah. so uh they blow up the continental at the start of the film oh okay right oh jesus I need to be there I need to be there (laughs) would you recommend me uh getting myself a visa a cinema visa pass and going to see it from the family okay they're better things. No, because you just said you didn't like the last one. So yeah, I found them. I found them quite, um, you know, a little bit tedious. Eventually, pretty looking but tedious. Well, diamonds are a girl's best friend. There we go. Uh... Hey man, that reminded me of the other thing, and it connects into the other thing that I saw. That I said I fucking love this, and I'm going to talk to Kevin about it. You're talking about uh, make it fun and entertaining because this is a very boring episode. Segregation. Segregation. You're like saying make it fun. This is a conversation. It's a conversation. We're chatting. We're having a chat. It's called OJ Made in America, right? This is a thing. This is a documentary. It's on, I think it's on Disney Plus as well. That's where I watched it, right? It was made in 2016. And it was, it is the most compelling bit of, no. Come here to me. All I really knew about OJ was he was Nordborg on the Naked Gun movies. He was good And that was as far as it went. Never knew it. And then there was something about him in the truck driving down the highway very slowly and a load of police behind him. Okay? And I kind of went, oh yeah, there was the trial and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't really pay much attention to it, but I knew it was big news and all that sort of stuff. But holy shit, the documentary OJ Made in America, which is a five-part documentary, and each part... That's quite old, isn't it? 2016. Each part is a feature film. Each part is a fucking feature. Did you ever film. see the did you ever see the um one that what's his face? David Schwimmer. Does, uh, does, yes, David Schwimmer starred in it. No, because I was again I was That was brilliant. That was really good. Um that's because I was like going, oh, I'm not I kinda know what OJ's about. I kinda know what what's going on here. No, it's really, really good. This is incredible because it repaints OJ it repainted OJ totally for me. By the end of episode one. It was kind of, it highlighted OJ, why OJ was the most famous black man in America in the 70s and 80s. Like he was bigger than Muhammad Ali. He was a fucking icon. And by the end of it, I was going, oh my God, that man is the most charismatic, talented, 
amazing human being and I don't care how many people he killed they, they, we should give him a bit of slack because he was amazing but, and they also concurrently tell what that story Bill Cosby he was pretty big he was pretty big as well. No, OJ was bigger. OJ was bigger. He, but OJ fucking did break down barriers. It's fucking interesting. But they parallel, they tell a story. Give him his, his flowers. Story. I mean, God, there's so much negativity. Just let him. <laughs> yeah. Now, by the end of it, let me put it to you this way. By the end of it, the, a different portrait of OJ is is painted. I'm go, shocked. Holy shit. Yeah, but not just, not just, oh, he probably did it. He probably did it. But more aspects. Did you ever see the crime scene photos? I did because I watched the documentary two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, whenever I watched it. I mean, after you see that, it's like, oh my God. What was fascinating about it is how the documentary parallels the story of racial tension in LA between the black community and the LAPD. And I, in episode one, I was like going, why are they kind of telling, spending so much time talking about, you know, racial inequality in LA and OJ's story? And the two stories converge brilliantly, you know, in the, when everything goes to shit. Yeah, of course, because it was one side versus the other. And unfortunately for the black community, they had to watch a hero crumble and, geez, wasn't there the... Um, the Rodney King. The Rodney yeah. King beating as well. It's really place. fascinating. It, it's an amazing murder trial. Like, it's fucking compelling. The cast of characters they have involved. It's fucking class. And there's a cast of characters involved that are... That are really... They're just... They're they're like they've come... Stepped out of a fucking movie. And you have, they have interviews with these people who you kind of go, Holy shit, I can't believe you're, you're reliving this whole thing now live on camera for this docu- documentary. It just... It feels like a real expose and a real amazing portrait of 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 that case but how pivotal that case was culturally in America in in the late 90s it was amazing I loved it cool <laughs> like, come on let's have a proper conversation you've been watching a lot of murder documentaries lately are you enjoying watching murder documentaries <laughs> I am enjoying I always enjoy watching murder documentaries Kevin it's my it's my go-to relaxation buzz do you not enjoy a good murder doc Yes, if I'm in the right headspace for it, but I also don't enjoy watching. I'm getting really tired of the formula that's on Netflix with the the crime expose documentaries. The OJ thing, I could definitely tell the difference of it being made before, let's say, the making a murder thing. It has a different. It, it is a more mature. It has a more mature aesthetic about itself. So, uh, yeah, it's very good. April Fool's Day is coming up. Do you have any plans for any pranks you want to put out there into the world? Oh, God. I'm not. Uh, the only person I used to prank was my mother. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Ringing her up and saying you're the Avon lady. Yeah. And yeah. I just, yeah, I miss that. Uh, I... The only really successful prank I've ever done was one that I think I've told you just before. Yeah. Um, I would tell a few friends of mine because you know we keep up the tabs with what, what we used to geez that was one thing I used to like was you get to share your work with other mates who are also writers or directors and stuff yeah and they'd be able to read it because they'd have the time and you'd get feedback or you'd you just get the immediate buzz, buzz of like having a sort of like a writers group no that never happens you only share the stuff with the people that are going to nag you to death <laughs> with notes yeah but I knew what each of my mates was working on or was up to and I would send her a message going like um, I don't want to to bum you out but I'm just after reading a script which is really similar to your project that you're doing oh god and I go like um, so I don't know I have the script if you want to take a look at it it might be totally different but you know just based on what you were telling me it seems to be almost exactly the same as what you're doing and they'd be like oh my god fuck no send it to me and I would make up a fake PDF and a fake title and I'd send it to them and then on the first page when you open the PDF it would be like April Fool's gotcha (laughs) you bastards (laughs) but it was it's one of those pranks where it's harmless and it gives them an immediate release of relief where it's like oh thank Christ yeah but that that 
I caught so many people with that, and uh, that is a good one. I've never really, I've never really pulled off any other pranks. Uh, yeah, I only ever did it to my mother. Um, I, I remember there was neighbors of ours. Oh Jesus Christ! So it was neighbor of mine, Donald, and Donald was an awful prankster. And this is back in the, back in the eighties and nineties. He pranked our other neighbors, who did a fam. Uh, they once their name. They had, they did, there was a fam, four kids and two parents. And they had booked a holiday, let's say, off the coast to Kerry, right? But to, to get there, like back in the day, you would pack everything. You would pack the sink, you'd pack the the, the the armchair, you'd pack the telly and all that sort of stuff. So they had everything packed into the car the night before. The whole bloody lot in there. And Donald rang them the night before because he was at their house. He saw the car being packed and fully packed and, talk, and heard how much stress and bother they, they'd gone to to actually pack the car. And he rang him pretending to be the campsite and told him, uh, how are you? I'm from the campsite. And just to let you know that the, the, the water's been cut. So you'll have to bring your own water for the week for washing and drinking and everything. So they went and they unpacked half the boot and they filled up like barrels of water and put the barrels of water into it and headed off with the with half of the boot. And oh, no, yeah. you don't let them go that far yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That reminds me, I have um, a fishing scam uh, thing that I have been running for a few years it's a nigerian prince thing and i just send out these emails to people and the amount of people that fall for it it's hilarious oh hey uh we asked listeners last time to send us in questions via the uh website and i have got one here shall i read it and ask you it because we can both answer it but i'll ask it shall i i like that you say shall i because i got bullied for that in school as a kid oh really I yeah. have no idea why I say it. I know where I don't know where it came into my lexicon or anything. You also say schedule. I've Do noticed I? that about you. Yeah, yes. I have no idea. What's the correct way of saying it? What's our way of saying it? There isn't a correct way. But I've only ever heard it schedule. Schedule. No, I would never say schedule. I always say schedule. I don't know. I do not know why. I've noticed that schedule is the English way of pronouncing it and schedule is the American and Irish way of saying it. Oh. Just okay. the way I've heard it. Just going back to my ancestral. Uh, but groups, yeah, I remember all. putting up my hand in, in the class and the blinds needed to be pulled down because I was getting blinded and I said um, shall I pull down the blinds and one of the little sprats was like shall I shall I uh. and I was like well what am I supposed to say and he was like can I <laughs> he turned around and punch you kick you <laughs> no he was sitting he was sitting a few s- seats away from me uh, hey I I've a, my own I have an email in from Joe in Toronto can I can I read this do read it joe says i'm a recent fan and love your podcast hey this is a mini review thanks joe i discovered while visiting in ireland at christmas and i have been working my way through your old episodes and really enjoying them my question is i recently loved your origin episodes and after listening to them i watched your films fair play to you they were very different from each other both were brilliant i don't know uh, <laughs> if you've told the story but before i've only done one film well how can they both be brilliant <laughs> I don't know if you've told the story before in the podcast, but how did you become friends? Also, you both mentioned Are in we your friends. Ar- it's a good question. Also, you both <laughs> mentioned on your origin episodes that you would do follow-ups to those. Anyway, how did we become friends, Kevin? We haven't. I don't think we've discussed it on the podcast. How did that? Where did we fatefully meet? It was coppers. It was coppers, wasn't it? Yeah, in the toilets. Yeah. We, we are bored after the same woman and uh, squared up to each other. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Okay, you tell me. I know my recollection. Okay. I think we first met, we were asked, I was asked to do a panel at, was it the, was it a Cork Film Festival or something like that years and years ago? And you I also were that on the panel. Was, yes. With two other panelists. And In after, the Triscoll Arts Centre, wasn't it? Yes, that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And afterwards, we went for a nice walk. This is about... Well, it's after Grabber's oh, Um Okay, so that would be... 2012. Two, 2012. Two, 2013. And then we took a walk by the Lee, and I remember Kevin's hand just reaching over, and his little pinky finger touching my pinky finger. And we had to twice. That wasn't my finger. <laughs> and we walked. And very soon, we found ourselves in a joint synchronized skip down by the Lee. I remember being asked to be part of that panel and it was something to it was something to do with screenwriting breaking in or something like that. Were we all Cork people? 
Yes, that was... No, one of us wasn't. It was not a Cork people person. There was four of us on the panel. There was a, a lady. There was me. There was you. And there was another... Writer, director. Person. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say who that person is. No, we won't give up the other people's names, no. Just in case. Yeah. Just in case. Because one of them was really annoying. <laughs> well, and that was... It was no, us. It was one of us. It was one of us. Let's no, no, just no. say it. Uh, we, we went... We went into the um, the little cafe that's in the Truscal and we had a cup of coffee and a biscuit and it was crowded in there. It was absolutely jointed. And I think we had to wait a while until we went on. And it was like, do you want to go for a walk? Or maybe it was after it. Oh, it might have been after it, yeah. I think you had to get a bus or something like that. And it was like, do you want to go for a walk before you get your bus or something? Oh, and I yeah. remember we did a lap. We did a lap of the Lee up and yeah. down. And I don't know what we talked about, but I just remember us getting on and it was just like oh he's just somebody that I could have gone to college with and it was a really it was really easy to talk to you how times have changed um, <laughs> <laughs> no and then we uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh god um, and then we just I don't know we just stayed in touch yeah at we, that we, stage I was just I was accumulating friends all over the place that were in the business because I'd been so far outside it that to meet anybody that shared the same interests as me it was like it was so exciting to that sort of know people that you didn't feel like a like a, a weirdo and an outcast it was like yeah writing scripts everyone used to ask me what are you writing and I, you could tell it was almost like they were they were trying to um sympathize with me like i had a condition right with the help of god no kev with the help of god yeah i'm like thinking all right you don't need to to Control and console me. So, um, yeah, it was just being able to talk to somebody that knew the struggle and knew how difficult it was. And, uh, yeah, we just got on and we stayed in touch. I mean, then we used to, we used to, um, have regular, like, phone calls. We'd just check in with each other and see mm-hmm. how the other one is doing. Yeah. But we didn't actually physically meet again until we did the live show. Yeah, that's scary. So we did the live because show last year. Because we've been year. on Zooms. We've been on like... Or um, Skypes. Skypes, yeah. Video calls and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so that's over 10 years now. That's over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much, yeah. That's pretty much my recollection. It was also, it was just nice to meet someone who you felt was up here. Someone who also had a film out, you know, around, we were around the same age. We both had our first films out. We are both kind of trying to go, how in the hell are we going to navigate this industry? And worried and scared, and things haven't changed. <laughs> Just things have not changed. It's exactly the same. Um, yeah, but it highlights, I think, as a as a kind of a career thing, it's always good to find a peer, someone who's doing some something similar to you at the same level you're at, because you have someone to lean on who can you can also kind of cry on their shoulder a small little bit. It helps. Yeah, I think I don't know what it was. We just ended up just like. Um being quite open with each other and it it, it's easy to talk to you you bump into some people and you your guard is up and you can't really articulate why but you just don't have that easy rapport but uh it's just chemistry i suppose although you can lose it as well just depending on your mood we've often got into little moods with each other but it's it's just about having trust (laughs) and they're talking to will (laughs) pretending to talk to the listeners (laughs) sideways saying like um it's okay we might have grumpy moments but it, it's not as big or as serious as it seems and that that can sometimes i don't know what i'm saying anymore back on topic that's what doing a long-term podcast is all about and uh, having those open things i have another question from you from ono leary shall i thank ask? you and, joe yes i really appreciate that and joe's a recent listener who's found us recently so you've been to toronto haven't you I have. We had to the go. world premiere of Song of the Sea in Toronto. And I, Wolfwalkers, I think, as well. But we obviously everything was virtual back then. Went to Niagara Falls and it was very cool. So, uh, And I went to Dan Aykroyd's winery. Does he have a winery? It doesn't even make It's a vodka. vineyard. No, it's a vineyard. We were in it. And we were given oh. a tour by one of the strangest, creepiest tour guides ever. Oh, I can tell you a story. So let's tell you the story. About See, this, this is the stuff that I want to hear. Right. So what happened was, so there was a bunch of us from Cartoon Saloon over and co-producers. So there's a bunch of us over from Cartoon Saloon 
And Cartoon's doing a great gang. You know, uh, we've such crack together and we always, like, it's like a traveling circus when we go away. But uh, lovely people. So I think Paul, no, it was Stefan, one of the co-producers, organized, he said, I want to go. He says, let's go to Niagara Falls where it's about an hour drive away and I'll organize some sort of um, minivan or see if we can get someone to, just basically to drive us there. Can I ask and, you? Mm-hmm. Niagara Falls, there's two sides to it. There's the American side and there's the Canadian side. And which one yes. of them is the big, the one that's got the big spectacular drop? Uh, the can. Oh, I think actually the American side has the big spectacular drop, but the, the Canadian side. Ah, uh, yeah, I, the Canadian side is the more picturesque side, and that's what. Oh, and okay. Just the angle of it is basically the. I think. I think the angle of. And we went on a boat and kind of like the boat, we had to wear like ponchos over the and edge. stuff like that. Went over the edge, yeah. And it gave me a barrel. And ah. like when I came to in hospital, seriously, the photos were amazing. I was so glad. I don't remember any of it. But the photos are still good. So Have you ever took... been whitewater rafting? And I never will. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say yes or no. <laughs> I fucking I just jumped to and I never will. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, you went bus. to the winery? So, no, what happened was, so uh, Stefano organized this uh, it's coach to, to take about maybe 10, of, maybe 15 of us, right? And we headed off. And as, la- as soon as we, as the coach arrived early the next the morning after whatever, eight o'clock set off time. And as soon as we got on, we noticed something off about the driver. Okay. He was talking to himself an awful lot. And he was like, okay, Rebecca, that's good. Do you like that? Okay. Who have you got with you? Who have you got with you? Oh, yeah, you're on your own. Okay. I've just got some people here, some Irish people. Would he not be wearing a a earpiece? And then we know it was only, we noticed then that he did have like an earpiece. This was like early Bluetooth era, right? Okay. He was on the phone to his inverted commas girlfriend, right? For the first half an hour of our trip. So he was basically talking to his girlfriend and us at the same time, right? And issuing. And so that was a bit off, right? And then he started basically doing these really uh, I would say racist sexist jokes right and the heckles I can feel like Tom's wife Tom's great least lot she's mighty like you know but she fucking stands up for when she sees something wrong like happening in the world and her heckles were, were all her heckles were right, but she was getting really annoyed and she was he was saying fucking awful stuff like you know really 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 sexist stuff along the way like what and um like uh, basically saying uh, we were driving by in Ikea and he says oh ladies look over there look over he was basically pointed the opposite direction ladies look out that window there's a, a beautiful unicorn and then he was like oh, you're welcome guys I'm sure your credit cards will be happy I did that you know basically that women would just be drawn to Ikea and and then he started asking like trivia questions okay and when we started getting wait, the answers wait, hang right, on a second he, he drove past he drove past that big Ikea, okay? Okay. And what he did, jokingly, was he tried to distract the ladies to get them to look out the opposite window so that they wouldn't shout at him to make him turn drive in so that they could shop in Ikea. That's and funny. they were going to spend the men's, he saw the men's crack, money. <laughs> and then he would ask questions, like, you know, so guys, so guys, does anyone in the back seat know who was the first captain of the Star Trek Enterprise? And I remember one time going, uh, in, in in the pilot, wasn't it wasn't it Pike? And he went. He just kind of you could see his face drop, and him kind of becoming stony stony silent and going, "Yes, yes, it was." <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, "Fuck you for taking my fucking trivia thunder, you fucker!" And he did a couple of more of those little like trivia questions, and when we answered them, he just got more and more sour. And just really Why was he angry? asking those questions? Just to preoccupy himself? I don't I think it was I think he was doing it to make it to, to make himself appear intelligent. I think uh, he was like, I'm going to give these Yahoos how old some was trivia he? and blow their fucking minds. He was well into his fifties. And by the end <laughs> by the end so of he wasn't it, right, that old we got then? to lo- We got to Niagara No, he wasn't that old. We got to Niagara <laughs> Falls, right? And Lisa Lot had enough and she said, I am going to fucking tell him when I get back into this into the van. 
I'm going to tell him to shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know, basically. And we said, no, Lisa, we just, just leave it, just leave it. And no, because he doesn't stop. He didn't stop for an hour and a half or two hours, or whatever. He just didn't stop the whole time. And um, so we went off and we did our Niagara Falls adventure and it was beautiful and it was amazing. It was lovely to have the respite from your man. And when we got back into the into the, the minivan, uh, he, he started with the van, started driving and Lisa Lott chirped up and he said, um, do you mind please not speaking on the way back? And he says, why? Am I irritating you? And she went, no, well, look, listen, listen we everyone's really tired and we'd much prefer if we had peace and quiet and some people would like to just get some rest and uh and he was like oh so i get it and he got really thick and it got he started really swerving awkward. all over the road shaking yeah. the van <laughs> and it got really like oh so i know i understand break checking i was being constantly <laughs> oh fucking hell the whole drive back did he really it was you who did what was he like Stop starting the van like going, oh no 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 no! And he was just you know he was driving just in a fucking mood the whole way back. You could cut the tension with a knife. And the most awkward bit was when we got there as we were pulling in close to the hotel. He said, "So uh, we're uh, almost at our destination. If everyone thinks they had a great time, or if anyone feels they want to give me a tip, uh, you know, I'll I'll be waiting at the back of the bus." And we all just got out. And we all just walked by him. And he stood as he stood low, as lo, a lonely figure at the back of the bus because we all we all agreed we're not tipping this fucking guy because it was a, he, we're paying him a couple of hundred dollars or whatever for the trip. He said we're not tipping this fucking guy. Um, and the following year, a news article appeared online about a serial killer in Toronto. You're joking me. This is bullshit. <laughs> April Fools is. <laughs> And I clicked on the article. No way. There's Hang the on. Guy's face. There's the fucking guy's face. And I was going, oh my God, it's him. It's fucking him. And I emailed it to Paul. Are you serious? The, and, the, and he said, no, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Well, but there was a hot minute where oh, I thought he was the serial shit. killer. <laughs> there was a hot minute where I fucking said, that's the guy. That's the fucking guy. Um... Uh, I'll edit yeah, that so, that so that, that it my... actually turns out he was the serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my Toronto Niagara Falls story, Kevin. I've gone well over. Toronto's great, by the way. Well, thank you, Joe, for that uh, question. Do you want me to ask you another question? Ask I've, all uh, the questions. Question we asked for them, so let's. Uh, let's we have loads. Them. We have loads. I have a question from Ono O'Leary, right? Uh, and he says, "Hello, Will and Kevin. I've been a listener for a couple of years and love the podcast and find your passion for film refreshing and inspiring. I work in IT, but I've written some screenplay." I've written some screenplays and hoping to get where you are, guys, uh, someday. You asked uh, for episode uh, for listener questions, so here are mine. Question number one: How do you balance the demands of storytelling with the expectations of producers and audiences? And what are some of the challenges you challenges you face in this regard? Insurmountable challenges, I'll tell you that, because I've only had one thing made. Um, I didn't have to deal with that because I wasn't writing. Any well, the Neil Gaiman stuff, I suppose that was difficult because there was multiple masters I had to service the fans of the books, the directors, and their vision when they came on, and myself, what I wanted. But I wasn't really thinking about what the audience would make of it, I just wanted to write something that I thought would be interesting. So, I don't know, I've never really been in that position where I've had to. I've had to think about an audience's expectations. I usually just write stuff that I would like to pay and go and see. Put mm. myself in the cinema yeah. and think, what's the best film or the best TV show that I would make time to actually sit down and watch? Yeah. So I, I, I treat myself as the audience. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I've been involved in a couple of projects where I felt it was producer-led. And oh my God, those projects never went anywhere because as soon as, and it's usually producers trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole where they, where they think, oh, hang on a second. They're looking at the market and they're looking at the opportunities uh, to get a project off the ground. And they think, oh, crikey, we're not going to get the project as it is made right now. So let's change it. Once the tail starts wagging the dog in a project it usually won't live it usually won't survive so you just as you said you just try and imagine yourself as the audience try to try and tell the best story that you would like to see yourself as an audience member that's the that's the main thing as soon as that starts to slip away then 
it's you're in trouble land. Yeah. Owen also asks, who are some of your influences as writers? Who are some of your I should have looked at these writers? questions before. Yeah. Who are some of we my influences as writers? I'm just saying, I would find that very difficult as well. Because I would, I would see more of my influences being filmmakers or, you know, screenwriters. Obviously, William Goldman. But, like, films have inspired me an awful long, uh, along the way. Um, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I, I don't know anymore what we haven't haven't said in the podcast but it's like I don't think of actors in the roles that I write I can never picture people ask me who should we cast in this part and I haven't a clue I can never tell them who I think it is because I can't see the faces of the characters I just have their essence their energy their their demeanor their behavior that's what I base things on and that usually comes from real life like I don't write anything tailored towards a persona from an actor it's like it's people that i encounter it's family members it's friends it's it's old bosses it's anything like that that i will put into a script so um in terms of like emulating other people's scripts or trying to live up to them i don't think you can do that i don't think you're going to be quite successful for me i always looked at it like you can try and copy somebody else's handwriting but you're not going to get the same writing out of it it's just going to look like them when it comes to screenwriting I think you have to be you've got to have your own voice and be true to yourself you can look at other people and think I like how they did that and then you will apply that yourself I remember Max Landis who was a quite a toxic person he used to have some brilliantly concise ways of putting across information in the script and I would pluck out certain things and go like oh, I'm going to use that the next time I do something um but I love reading Walter Hill scripts, but I would never write like Walter Hill. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Preston Sturgis used to love his rat-a-tat dialogue. Uh, Dale Lawner, I loved some of his stuff. Um, I used to love a lot of Joss Whedon stuff. Um, and then I just went off it. I don't know. Your taste changes as you as you grow your up. Your taste. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely it. You can kind of go who, who inspired you. I remember reading um, uh, Charlie Kaufman's script for... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind when it was released before the film came out and I remember just being blown away by that and trying to do my own little storyboards on the side of the page just imagining what the film would look like and stuff like that um, and then I was really intimidated by James Cameron's scripts because they were just novels I was going oh Christ there's so much detail there's so much scene, scene direction in these but bloody you, pages like you can't judge a script if they're the writer director they're going to write it yeah. in a totally different way because they, when you're writing a script or a spec you're writing it for every possible variety of person that's going to read it so you have to write it almost like idiot proof mm-hmm. and I think I've said this to you before as well that when I wrote Grabbers I wrote it really playfully and I had an awful lot of fun with the scene description and with the character descriptions and all that stuff does not appear on screen because you can't, it's unfilmable stuff but I still like to do some of that in my scripts but I've paired that back so my scripts are now much more utilitarian and concise and it's like director proof there's no way the way that I used to look at it or I still try to look at it is that I want to write a scene that even if you shot it on mini DV cameras and it was out of focus and it was not white balanced or it's just like a student movie the most terrible version the dramatic arc of the scene would still work yes that it's not dependent on the execution of it and a lot of directors that I would talk to they get caught up in the head of how it's going to look and not about how it's going to make you feel. Mm-hmm. As long as you can get it on the page, the core essential turn, dramatic turn of a scene down yeah. on the page. If they shoot that, as you say, in any mm-hmm. way, shape or form, they should have something that should stand on its own legs. If they shot it like a stage play with a proscenium, that it would still work. Yeah, yeah. I would only ever write in not scene directions but stuff that needs to needs to be seen for the actual scene to work or for future scenes to work like you know close up of the gun uh, you know the gun in the drawer whatever it was you know that's the only time I would have the only thing that matters about a script is that the person reading it understands what you're writing and screenplays can get very convoluted very fast because you're trying to summarize all the departments of a film into a single sentence Mm-hmm. And you don't have you don't have the beautiful 
photography, you don't have the score, you don't have the performances and their great faces, you don't have the sound design. And I think writers, we can get caught up in trying to do too much on the page when you can just be simple and clear. And if you were doing close-up of uh, a mouth, a, a, a close-up on a gun, mm-hmm. yeah, that puts it across, but you can also just describe the gun. So in your mind's eye, you're zeroing you're in on what gun. that gun is. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, you know, you're, you, you, you have to draw attention to the gun and actually says they're not you don't necessarily have to say close up of gun but yeah. you know what I mean I know exactly what you're saying that it's that it's it's flow it fluid through the reader's the reader's mind eye that yeah there's a, this person's holding a gun or there's a gun under the table or something like that all you have to be is entertaining um, that's all you have to be don't bother listening to anybody else that says you can't do this you can't do that and don't try and copy anybody else either it's the if if you're doing what everybody else can do do something else because you want to be indispensable that's what Owen's I think. N- Who's only written one film? Anyway, sorry. That's good advice. Good advice. Owen's next question, and I've got one off the top of my head because I'm already I've already read the question. Is are there any books on writing you recommend? Apologies if you've answered this before. Two books I can recommend off the top of my head is I've always enjoyed Stephen King's book on writing. I love it, even though it's about writing his novels. It doesn't matter. It's just it's just about writing, and it's semi autobiographical, and it's very inspiring. I think is excellent, but it's also about storytelling and his unique way of coming up with stories. It's just a delight to read. It's a great read. And the second book I'd recommend is John York's Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. It's all about structure. It breaks it down in a very clear character uh, centric view of screenwriting structure. And I've used it more than any other books when I found myself in a cul-de-sac writing. So, um, into the Woods and Stephen King's On Writing. Those are the two that I recommend. Yeah, I've read all those books and I, I learned a lot from them, but I've read them 20 years ago. Um, I found reading screenplays to be more helpful. In mm. It was a much more direct way of seeing what works and what doesn't work, especially if you know the film. Um I w- and you had that you had that rare experience of being a reader in Hollywood, and you were writing coverage cover notes for like coverage, a, yeah. two scripts a day, or coverage for no, two scripts a day, three scripts a day. Jesus, how did you do that? Uh, with gritted teeth, I'd be asleep. I would get maybe get one done a day. Yeah, I don't know. Read scripts is the best way to become yeah. a, a good writer. Read Screen scripts writer. definitely. Can you discuss any upcoming projects you're working on? Can you? <laughs> I cannot. I am. I can say that I'm working on a one cartoon saloon project with Tom Moore. That's because he's spoken about that in a public forum. That's in very early stages of development. And something else will be announced very soon. That's all I can say. Yeah. The Care Bears project. Yes. Yeah. Nobody's going to know what that means because that's a mini bits reference. But over on our yes. Patreon feed, Will's been talking a lot in the recent past about a Care Bears project, which isn't a Care Bears project, but we just sort of use that as a... As a code name. A yeah. code name, yeah. For me, I've got projects that are out there. They've attached cast to them. They seem to be moving forward, but I don't know whether they will or not. So, so I can't really ever say for certain. To be honest, in the film business, does that even exist anymore? But in the film business projects they're not real until they're about a week into filming absolutely absolutely they're they're this ethereal concept that may or may not are at, at any second uh, away from being cancelled shut down in any way so look at that nancy Myers so, project it was cast it was, had budget and it got shut down it's so and sure even the background film that got shot released in the can yeah and it's never going to get seen yeah it's fucking yeah that's that's the game. That's to get the reality of this game is that you're working on stuff. We we have almost become conditioned as screenwriters for stuff to not. This is this is one of the philosophies that I've kind of like has, I've I've taken on board. Is that when I'm working on something, a part of me goes, "This is never going to get made." So you might as well just entertain yourself. You might as well just do whatever, do what you think is the best you can do right now, and stop trying. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like no one's going to see this anyway. So just fucking go for it. That was and, how I um, wrote Grabbers. I thought this is never, this is never going to happen. But I'm going to prove to people that they were wrong to not do it. 
damn good advice. Uh, can I? Uh, Owen's got two more questions because I'm just reading as I'm as I'm talking to you. What do you think distinguishes great screenwriting from mediocre or average screenwriting? And how can writers elevate their work to the next level? These are heavy questions. That's a big question. Um, I can tell. I can give it clarity. A go. Do you want to go first? You've got to be concise. You've got to be clear, and you've got to be entertaining. And mm-hmm. majority of screenplays are written badly. Screenplays are just a slog to read. One of the highest compliments that anyone can pay me is that it was a really easy read, that mm-hmm. they flew through it. And I have to work really hard to make a script read smooth and easy. And so anytime I get that compliment, and I do get it a lot, I'm happy to say that, I do get it a lot. Your scripts are very entertaining reads, Kevin. Very entertaining reads. But easy to read, smooth. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good indicator of good screenwriting. Uh, yeah, for me, what's mediocre, what's average? Listen, there's so many times you just know a script is bad, even within the first 10 pages. You can kind of go, oh, this is, there's there's a uh, a confidence in the voice that's there in those first 10 pages that usually carries you through. And you were, what you were saying there, Kevin, it all kind of can fall away and, you know, the final act or whatever. But I'd say you I, can tell for- within the first page. Well, quite possibly, yeah. For me, the big thing for me is if there's a uniqueness to a story or uniqueness to a script, where you feel like oh, this is there's there's a there's a particular the person who wrote this is the only person who could have written this, and because yeah. they're coming at the story in with a very fresh take or a very it's not even a take it's just a an angle or a tone or something like that that makes it feel prescient and and important that it was written and you feel lucky to have been the person to have read it um so for me there's something about finding your own voice and making sure there's cl- uh, you were what you were saying clarity is very 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 true try it uh, when you're photocopying other stuff it's just it's always it's always a disaster yeah he's got one final question okay finally what's the best screenplay you've ever read <laughs> look at <laughs> kevin's just going what the fuck and you can't say your own stuff or my stuff, Kevin. The Matrix was a great script. You've read that script? Yeah. I've never read it. See, you've read a lot more scripts than I've read. I've read hundreds of scripts. Yeah, I haven't read hundreds of scripts. I used Definitely to love... Not. There was a period in the early 2000s when I was at college where scripts would leak before the films had come out. Yeah. And that was really helpful to read a script cold and yeah. then see how they interpreted the scenes like reading the Kill Bill script before I'd seen Kill Bill Star Trek Nemesis stuff like that um, yeah I think we shared our stories with Star Trek Nemesis and I we both had the same uh, idea of oh well they've got a year they've got a year to fix this they're surely not going to shoot this the Star Trek Nemesis was beautifully written John Logan is a gorgeous writer to read but I was just was a, annoyed that he just didn't... He had his favourite characters in that script and he just put everything into those characters. And and I remember all the Shinzon stuff just being just dead water. It was just it was just, it was was just just hanging there and I just remember being totally disengaged yeah. uh, with any of it. For me, I would say... I would go back to... For me, for some of the best, best screenplays I've read are probably the ones I read early in my career. Like you, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I remember reading that one and going... Oh my God, what's this going to look like? What is this going to... And my mind being kind of like just doing backflips, trying to imagine him going to all these different um, parts of his, his own memories and, and whatnot. So I remember being so excited by that script. And um, yeah, and of course, you go and go read William Goldman stuff and that's they're fun to read as well. So that's great. Those are all of Owen's questions. I have a question here for you from... This has got to be... I put it in our Discord because I'm certain that someone's taking the piss here. This is from Mike Hunt. (laughs) No, no, it's totally serious. Totally, totally serious. serious. The question is the question is serious, but the the name is bollocks. AI is the subject. It says, Hey guys, first time commenter, long time listener. With the recent advancements in AI, are you concerned about it becoming part of the filmmaking process? Follow up question Who is taller? Oh, between you and me? Yeah. We're around the same height, I'd say. I think we're we're bang on the same height. Six yeah, foot. I think we're yeah, uh, yeah. The because listen, I've been playing <laughs> with. I, I'm agreeing with you there. I'm just just going to quietly agree with you on six foot. <laughs> I have been since 
I became aware of chat GPT, I have been playing with it. Any chance I get it, I guess, just to see what it can do with regard to generating stories and pitches for movies and stuff like that. You're working with Tom Moore at the moment. Tom Moore put out an article where he said that he's really concerned about where AI is going. And then I saw recently that Levi, the jeans company, they're no longer going to use real models. They're going to use AI-created models for diversity's sake. Right. So it's already starting to become part of the creative process for like that side of things and then the wga there's going to be a strike soon i predict for wga members and um they're negotiating some sort of terms to sort of future proof writers position when it comes to using ai where it's like it's supportive material Mm -hmm. uh, like wikipedia or doing research it's not actually creative work so you can't You can't use that um, over actual people. Yeah, it's but but I guarantee you, anyone who's not outside or protected by the WGA uh, producers who are uh, have a more disreputable reputation, I guarantee you we're going to see most of them. Yeah, we're going to see uh, scripts with uh, AI generated plots with AI generated scenes because they don't give a shit. And but I don't think that's going to be producers. Ver- I think that's going to be actual people are going to do that. Because I saw a TikTok, and I think I shared it with you, of new AI from a company that I, I can't remember the name of it now, but if you Google, it's called Video to Video. And if you take still images, or no, if you take video footage, you can change it in real time to a different style, like anime or... Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, an oil painting and yeah. it's almost like dreaming and then there was another there's another AI where you could put in prompts and it can be like um, you could say something like a green field and an elephant walks past yeah I listen I, it, it's very worrisome particularly for anyone who is working in the early development process, uh, stages of any process like concept artists I'm fucking worried for them I am I, I believe I, I read somewhere that publishers had stopped taking pitches for books because so many people were just getting a, a chat GPT to generate pitches for story That's a shit one. I think there's going to be better versions of chat GPT because chat GPT will not do 90% of things that you wanted to do. Oh, certainly not. But And the one thing, the, the only solace I take from the stuff I have I have played around with on chat GPT is that it does lack, does lack depth and humanity you can easily distinct you can easily look at it and say and oh. detail yeah it's very very vague um but it's nice it's it's well written you know it's competently written i will say i'll put it that way but what is missing is that human the human touch so far anyway and i think tom typos tom yeah there you go we need to, typos are the only way we'll actually be able to distinguish whether something is uh, a human made or not uh there'll be a bonus and I think Tom said something in an article, which I think is probably a good, uh, a good, a good um, thing to lean on. He said it was like for it feels like the same time for them in the '90s when they were working on their 2D in the 2D run, and they saw that like Disney were coming out with all, had with this wave of success with 2D movies, and all of a sudden Toy Story comes out, and that heralded you know that CG was going to be the way from now on, and 2D was dead. But ultimately, 2D didn't die. And in actual fact, now that we look back at those early CG films, we can kind of see the artificiality of them. They don't look real. Yeah, that first Toy Story looks terrible. Yeah, and all all that first generation, most of those stuff look awful. But hand, the hand-drawn stuff still looks good. So I'm hoping against hope that that will be the case for a lot of this AI-generated stuff. That, that we will not have as humans. We just fundamentally will go... That's, there's something inhuman, something artificial, and something cold about this material. We'll be wanting the human touch. That's my hope, anyway. There goes the timer. <gasps> is that us done? Um, so Lisa's advice. Lisa is my mate, Lisa McInerney. She's written three books. Um, she's won plenty of awards for them. The Glorious Heresies, The Blood Miracles, and The Rules of Revelation. And she's also the editor of The Stinging Fly. And I asked her, do you have any advice? And so here's her advice. Hey gang, Lisa McInerney here. I hope this piece of advice isn't strictly writing specific, but as a writer, there's a number of things I struggle with in terms of motivation or even confidence 
when it comes to actually getting stories down on the page. And the one piece of advice I keep coming back to is actually a quote from Elrond of Rivendell from Lord of the Rings, who says, I think that this task is appointed for you, Frodo, and that if you do not find a way, no one will. Yeah, listen, I know it was Galadriel in the movies and this is a movie podcast, but I'm a novelist and it was Elrond in the books. You have a responsibility to the idea in your head, like whatever that may be, if you don't sit down and write it or sketch it or put it into action, however you do it, no one will and it will stay in your head. So you need a little bit of bullheadedness. Sit and write and get it told. You can worry about fixing it afterwards. Well, Lisa, I think that advice is so delighted. I'm, it, it gives me a smile for a couple of reasons. One being that it's a Lord of the Rings reference. And I'm sure Kevin is delighted about that too. But I absolutely adore your thought on the notion that you've got this idea in your head and if you don't get it out, you have a responsibility to it. And if you don't get it out, no one will. That idea will wither and die with you. And I love that. It's like an itch. That's the problem with this creative thing. It is like this itch that you have to do the thing. And um, we just better get on and do it. Thanks, Lisa. Great advice. There you go. Well, that's another of these episodes done. Yeah, that was enjoyable. It was great crack. <laughs> Laughed like a drain. <laughs> we don't have to laugh. We don't necessarily have to laugh every time. Sometimes you can have a, a mellow conversation and just get into the weeds a little bit. And that's good. That's good too, Kevin. It is, I suppose. Yeah, they don't all have to be fun. The best bits. Or whatever. And here is a clip from the lads' latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. Um, don't forget that you owe us 3 euro. Okay. You can't throw what? <laughs> oh my god! I I did a whole Irish theme. The best place I can Van Willem talking deviantly. <laughs> okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, of yeah. course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried that. my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. Yeah, that's exactly what did you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. I'm not, that. I've not. I've. I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm. I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem. From the telly and the latest film. Talking shite at the dynamic duo. Don't forget, no, you owe three euro. I come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, so I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there, 
sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare to go. I saw Madam Webb. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I I know is I saw a poster very recently. It went... There's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought. I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel, is that what Marvels? You're well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel, Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless, and you know you just have sound stage after sound stage and. I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. Where I feel like uh, yes. there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction. You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh yeah. wow, I just, I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay. On the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it was—it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the flash I just thought you know it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that so I went to the Madam Web not really giving a fuck about the genre but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it and the trailer was awful it had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition and I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage and uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I have to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I- <laughs> <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. (laughs) 